0: What's up, everybody? This is Zach Piquel, and you're listening to Devils in Detail. We're here in the Cronkite School for a little Friday afternoon podcast action. I've got Trevor Booth and Carson Field with me on the mic, ready as always to talk some Sun Devil football. Guys, we're going to get right down to it. Arizona State is in command of their own destiny after what seemed like a futile season where they lost four or five at one point in the middle of the year. Things are looking up for the Devils.
1: Yeah, Definitely. If you would have told me they'd be in control of their own destiny a couple weeks ago, I would have told you you're crazy, honestly. But now, they honestly look like the best team in the Pac-12 South, and the offense is clicking, the defense is clicking. Finally, Harry is breaking out like we expected them to this season. And now, all of a sudden, this team really has a chance. I don't know if they have much of a chance to beat Washington or Washington State in the Pac-12 championship, and they definitely have a chance to make a name for themselves in Herm Edwards' first year.
2: It really looked like this season was lost two weeks ago. It looked like a bowl game wasn't going to come, but now this is a careful time for Arizona State because last time they were on a two-game winning streak, they had the four losses in five games all coming by seven points. And UCLA, some people could see it as a trap game. There's some talent there, but they haven't performed well all season. It's senior day, so the distractions will be there. We'll see how they do against it.
0: Now speaking of distractions, Utah was a big thing to worry. It was a big team for Arizona State to worry about coming into this into the last week. Utah went four straight. They put up forty plus in um, for over a month. Zach Moss looked like one of the best running backs in college football. Huntley has been down. I mean, it was really just a complete Utah team that came into Tempe, and Arizona State kind of turned the tables on them and won by eighteen. So I mean, neither of us, none of us, were actually at this game uh, mm-hmm. unless some of you were there as a fan or in the stands. Uh, I def- I could say I was not I was other I was elsewhere but let's get let's let's break it down guys I mean this, this was a, this was a really impressive victory for Arizona State
1: yeah what really impressed me is Utah's defense came into the game one of the best in the nation and probably the best in the Pac-12 but Manny Wilkins had no trouble throwing against this defense and what, what really surprised me the most is Eno Benjamin how well he did even though Utah's run defense was allowing 81.1 yards per game coming into the matchup. And he rushed for 175 and two touchdowns, so that was really impressive.
2: What makes Eno's running so impressive, you mentioned it, Carson. He's gone against the number one, number two, and number three ranked rush defenses at times this year. So with, with the way he's able to break out was really impressive. And then Manny Wilkins maybe had his best game in a Sun Devil uniform, competing um, 79% of his passes. So everything was just clicking. The defense doubled their takeaways that they've had since the beginning of the season, and it was a com- complete team effort.
0: I mean, Eno Benjamin has just been an outstanding addition to the Sundell team. I mean, I think people were, there were definitely a, some, a mixed crowd of people that thought DeMario Richard deserved to start as a senior last year. And they, again, there were a lot of people that thought Benjamin should come in as a true freshman. I think that extra year of learning, getting a little bit bigger, a little stronger, and adapting to college football at the Division One level has done wonders for Benjamin. As you said, Carson, 175 yards. But the big thing to take away from you know Benjamin is true sophomore. He just broke the 1,000-yard mark for the season. He's got a, over 1,100 yards. He's on pace. He could be on pace to break Woody Green's single season record. That's fifteen sixty five. Eno's done it. Uh, excuse me. Woody Green played 13 games that year. Eno's, that, Eno's played nine. There's a lot of football left to be played, and no ASU running back has ever finished in the top 10 nationally in rushing yards. Even Green with a 1,500-yard season under his belt. Eno's currently sixth.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you when you said that DeMario Richard and Kalen Bala are sitting under them for a year. That probably helped progress his game a little bit. And over these next few games will be interesting to see how far his foot is on the gas trying to break that record. I mean this week they play against UCLA their run defense isn't exactly stellar so I could see him putting up big numbers once again in week 11.
2: It's crazy to see after he's had three games this year where he's rushed under 40 yards and then he comes back and he has the 300 <laughs> yard rushing game he rushes over 100 seeming like every week now so just to come back from that too and just to expand and have that mental toughness to come back from those big games has been huge too.
0: I mean, Benjamin's resolve is just excellent for a really young player, and it kind of rubs off on some of the more experienced guys like Nikhil Harry and Manny Wilkins. I mean, Wilkins had probably his best game in a month or so, Mm -hmm. three TDs. I mean, he did throw the pick. He was able to shake it off. Only five incompletions and 280 yards. Of course, the real story of this game, though, Benjamin was excellent, really beating up on a Utah run defense that was third in the nation. But Nikhil Harry really had that game that said, my goodness! This is a first. This is a top ten pick, top fifteen pick in the draft. Nine catches up, a buck sixty one, and three touchdowns. Really beating the Utah secondary in all different ways.
1: Yeah, Nikhil Harry, you mentioned that Manny Wilkins might have had his best game in the Sun Devil uniform. Nikhil Harry very well might have has had his best game in the Sun Devil uniform. One sixty one yards, three touchdowns. And my goodness, some of those catches were ridiculous. That one in the double coverage for the touchdown, I believe that was his second of the game. That was amazing. He had that 60-yard run. That was also a very big play for the Sun Devils, and he just gave them the momentum. And I would assume his draft stock maybe had fallen a little bit previously this season, but that definitely skyrocketed back up.
2: Yeah, and that's what we've been waiting for, that kind of game, for him to break out in. Because kind of this season, it's been, why aren't they using him? And you saw the Colorado game, especially when they were using LaVisca in the run game and trying to get him involved in multiple ways. It's like, why isn't ASU using Nikhil the same way? And against USC and then against Utah, we finally saw him break out. So that was great, two years of weapons like that.
0: I mean, he really just was so versatile. I mean, we saw the punt return at USC a couple weeks ago. But Hunter Edwards is really, and, and Rob Likens both, are doing an excellent job of getting Harry the ball these last few games. I mean, we saw in the, in the red zone their first trip down, Utah's corners are very, very known to be to be aggressive and, and trying to anticipate fade routes because they're bigger, they, they can match up to guys. Even Harry at 6'4", but Harry did his homework. I mean, you saw it in the first play. He faked the fade, went right across the middle, and Manny Wilkins got him, and, and Manny Wilkins found him for a touchdown. I mean, that was great recognition. Then later in the game on that run that you mentioned, Carson, um... We had Wilkins. You, had, you saw Wilkins recognize Chase Hansen on a on a blitz where he where he pauses momentarily. I believe it's a Green Dog blitz for the Utes. Uh, he was able to pick that up, found Harry across the middle, and Harry did the rest, running sixty one yards. I mean, great rec- great offensive scheming by Edwards and Lykins in this game.
1: Yeah, they had previously taken a lot of heat for not getting him the ball enough in some of the earlier games of this season. But particularly in these last two games, Manny Wilkins has done a really nice job of finding him. And I think a lot of that can be attributed to Lykins himself. He's done a really nice job of calling the plays after kind of a shaky game against Stanford. There were some questionable calls. Nikhil tried to throw that pass when they were driving against Stanford, and that was obviously picked off. So that there were a lot of questionable calls, but he's really rebounded these last two weeks.
2: It takes time. And Manny Wilkins, this is his fourth offensive coordinator, so there are some kinks working on new offense, new coaching scheme. Herm Edwards has been really intent on running the ball, but with a guy like Nikhil Harry, you're wondering, okay, how are we going to get him the ball? He's the best player. So for now, it seems like the team is starting to become more comfortable. They're finding a rhythm, and then hopefully that's what they're going to have to continue these next couple weeks.
0: The big thing with this Arizona State offense is that if, when they were starting to be a heavy run, a run-heavy team, excuse me, Herm Edwards' team looked so predictable. I mean, you saw it in Washington; they just wanted to feed, you know, Benjamin. Colorado, very obviously, just wanted to feed Benjamin. And against USC, against Utah, they've looked a lot more balanced. I mean, twenty-seven run, twenty-seven carries for Benjamin—that's a lot of work for a, for a young back. But I mean, t- to twenty-four passing, except for, for Manny Wilkins. That's a nice, that's a nice happy medium. Mm. This team's not looking any, doesn't look, doesn't look so predictable anymore. But one team that does look predictable again is Utah. For the for the umpteenth time now in November, this team has just crumbled. I mean, you saw, and, and unfortunately, it looks like things are gonna get a lot worse in Salt Lake City. Tyler Huntley breaks his collarbone, you know, really tough, uh, tough injury for him. And then just yesterday, Zach Moss announced he, he's done for the season with a knee injury. He's gonna have surgery on that. So youth continue to crumble. Yeah, they
2: should really just stop scheduling games in November at this point. I think that's a tweet I saw yesterday.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Utah choking in November is a tradition like no other. Like, they should have easily cruised to the Pac-12 South, assuming they would have beat ASU. They would have probably had their ticket punched to Santa Clara, but obviously injuries kind of killed them, ASU. The train's kind of rolling again. That kind of stopped them.
0: It's like, it's really, it's no different than any postseason sport. It's the the team that, that makes it, that makes their runs late is a team that's healthy and a team that's getting hot at the right time. And right now, that seems a lot like Arizona State.
1: Yeah, Arizona State, they're just, they've just been on the right track lately. And like, I think that Herm Edwards is, he's, he's a different coach than Todd Graham was. He's more of a motivator. And I think he's, he kind of whipped the players a little bit after those, those rough games, and like that four out of five losing streak, kind of whipped them back into shape. And now they're kind of fighting for him. And I think they have a relatively good shot to win out.
2: What's been really impressive about Herm Edwards and going to his Wednesday media sessions and seeing him throughout the week is he never maintains to lose positivity. He's always, er, he's always a positive guy, and I think he reinforces that to his players. Yes, there's things to correct, but at the same time, here's the situation. And now, lo and behold, they have the clearest path to winning this division. So with that mentality, that's probably been a huge thing for this team to be able to come back.
0: Edwards has really done an outstanding job. I mean, I think I think a lot of us, myself included, really wrote him off as he can't coach at the college level. He's been out of football for too long. I mean, you saw him coaching at the Under Armour All American Game for a few for a handful of years, but that's a different animal than preparing an an entire offseason for a team, for getting them ready week to week for games instead of just one game. Edwards has done a phenomenal job. I'm not saying he's your coach of the year necessarily in the Pac-12. But the job he's done in year one, beating a couple of ranked teams, winning on the road at the Coliseum, are excellent, excellent achievements and a, and a great baseline for this Devils team to build off of. But Trevor, you mentioned positivity. I want to I want build off of that right now. Saturday is supposed to be a pretty positive day in Tempe. A lot of fanfare, a lot of celebration. It's senior day. Arizona State has UCLA. Now, this Bruins team is only 2-7, and seven, but it has the makings of a trap game, if you guys will. I mean... This team really doesn't seem to do a whole lot, but UCLA is a team, ASU's only beaten both LA schools four times in its history. This is, this is there's, History is not on their side right now.
1: Yeah, as far as history goes, you're totally right. This is not going to be in their favor, but looking at UCLA, this is a team that's mostly been down this year. Sure, Joshua Kelly recently has established himself as one of the nation's best running backs. He's ran for 100 yards in five of their last six games, so he's been fantastic lately. A big problem for them is quarterback issues. They've kind of split time between Dorian Thompson-Robinson and Wilton Spade because of inconsistent play and minor injuries. They've kind of doomed their play this year. They're 11th in the Pac-12 in passing yards, so not a great team. And if they can key in on Joshua Kelly, I think it shouldn't be that. Big old trap game.
2: That, that's the reason why it might be a trap game is because, okay, they have two struggling quarterbacks. They have a running back who's elite, so that's the guy you're going to key in on. And you also have a unique defensive scheme that's going to go up against those guys. So there's the probability of them being confused. But you're going to have to bring that effort. And with senior day and everything, your focus might not be necessarily on the game. It's like, wow, this is the last time I'm here. You might have that motivation, but if things go wrong, it could play a factor in your head. So that's the big
0: thing with this one. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Kelly's been great, but Thompson Robinson and Spate are just, they're both good enough quarterbacks by name. And Wilton Spate was excellent with Michigan in his, the beginning of his, of his career before the injury started to kind of plague him. And Thompson Robinson is an outstanding young man as a quarterback. I mean, just a, he's a four-star recruit. It's really tough for him to step into the position he's been in. I mean, coming in in the first half of, this, of, the, of his first game of the season after Spate gets hurt, the pressure's really on you. I mean, and I don't think I think them losing that game to Cincinnati really set the tone in such a negative way for this Bruins team. But even so, I think this team. I think Thompson Robinson has has some similarities to Tyler Huntley. He's a dual threat. Got a pretty big arm. If Kelly gets going like Moss did, it opens the field up for Thompson Robinson.
1: Oh, definitely. Um, Joshua Kelly. He's pretty similar running back too to Zach Moss in that they get a lot of yards per carry. They're both in great this year. And I'd say Tyler Huntley, I'd argue that he's probably a much better passer, but they have Thompson Robinson has the same leg speed and moves on the ground that Huntley possesses, so that could be interesting. And I think a big part of it comes down is unforced errors. If UCLA's offense has a lot of those, then it could be a long game for their offense.
2: Yeah, if you're going to be able to stop, Carson, you mentioned it, two elite athletes at the quarterback position in back-to-back weeks, that's got to give you a lot of confidence going forward. So that's going to be the challenges to meet that again.
1: Yeah, it's not certain that Thompson Robinson's going to start. Spate did take some first team reps this week, But I think that kind of mixes it up for the defense a little bit. It makes it a little harder to prepare for two different type of quarterbacks. Spade's more of a pocket passer, while Thompson Robinson's more of a dual threat. And preparing for two two different quarterbacks could mix it up for the defense.
2: Right, you're going to have to face a guy that can maybe slide when he's trying to get out of the pocket for first downs versus a guy that's going to try to make you miss. So it's going to be interesting to see how they play against that.
0: Both quarterbacks really bring a lot of different things to this game, to this team. Obviously, you mentioned pocket, a pocket passer in Spade, a, a more, more, a more versatile runner in Thompson Robinson, but Arizona State has been electric defensively this past the past two weeks. They're just seven of twenty three on allowing third down conversions against two pretty good offenses in USC and Utah. I mean, UCLA not quite on up to par with that. I mean, and and just a plus one turnover margin for the Bruins. This this is a team in. Mean, We say a trap game game for some, but on the other end, this could easily be a three-touchdown victory for Arizona State.
1: Yeah, I can see it. UCLA, until recently, they were one of the worst teams in the Power Five. They've kind of stepped it up a little bit recently, two recent wins, kept it close against Washington, and their defense has been honestly just as big of a problem as their inconsistent offense this year. A lot of missed tackles every time I've watched them. They kind of struggle to get takeaways, too.
2: Yeah, I don't want to get into the predictions yet because I know we usually get that toward the end, but that, that's kind of the direction I'm leaning with how UCLA has played, with how ASU has played. But then again, college football, week-to-week thing. So that's always the interesting part.
0: Absolutely, and as you mentioned, it is interest—it is very interesting because this Pac-12 South is still very wide open with three weeks to go in the season. Obviously, Utah and USC are, are breathing down Arizona State's neck in the standings, USC technically still ahead, but Arizona State knows a tie break. The Trojans have Cal this week. That's their toughest opponent left on the schedule. Utah has Oregon, quite possibly their toughest opponent left. Things are about to get real weird in the Pac-12, <laughs> this final, down the stretch. So I'll start with our predictions for Senior Day. Trevor, I'll start with you.
2: I got Arizona State winning 31-10. to 10. I, I do think it's going to be a three-touchdown victory. It's hard to contain momentum, but I think they do just because the emotions of senior day, how much it's going to mean for some of these players, and that's going to re- carry them to this win.
1: I got 34 to 24 in favor of ASU. I think that it could be a little slow out of the gate. They might have a little trouble containing Kelly, but eventually I think they'll get the momentum, some, maybe some big Nikhil Harry catches.
0: I'm going to be a little bit more on the uh, on the uh, explosive side with this one. Uh, I think more along the lines of what Trevor just had. I, I'm going Arizona State 42 to 20. I think the Devils just pile it on offensively. It starts early and it does not stop. Devils by three scores and a pretty big send-off for this senior class. But before we get into what the, what the events of last week in the Pac-12, what senior do you guys believe will have the most impactful game?
1: I think Vernell ran on the defensive end. I think he's going to have a really nice game, maybe a couple of sacks. I think he's going to put the pressure on early for whichever quarterback starts for the Bruins and maybe cause some havoc, get the get the crowd pumped up a little bit, and I think he'll just be a big catalyst to this game.
2: A guy that's been improving that in my eyes every week has been Jalen Harvey, and Danny Gonzalez talked about him again on Wednesday, how he's grown into this safety position. It's like he should be catching balls for this team. That's what he was supposed to do at the beginning of the year, but making that transition, he's gotten better every week forcing fumbles, and I think he's going to come out this senior day and make a lot of tackles and just prove that he's growing into that position.
0: I'm gonna go with a bit of a wild card. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Casey Tucker, uh, and it's pretty rare to take an offensive lineman on a team. And you, when you think seniors, you think Manny Wilkins, Ronell Wren, Harvey, among others. But the a bit the amazing changes that have taken place on this Arizona State run game, the catalyst at all of it during all of this has been Tucker's move from left tackle to left guard. He does not allow a lot of pressure on Wilkins on that left side, and he opens up holes. So wide for, for Eno Benjamin. I mean, you got to see some of the blocks he, he he puts on guys. He's a big body, 6'6", 300-plus pounds. I mean, this is an ideal left guard. I think this transition not only helps him in college, but gives him a shot at the pros that I don't think he otherwise would have had. And I think it's gonna, I think it's just gonna continue to let Eno Benjamin run wild. Uh, moving on from moving on from the. Arizona State. We're, we're gonna we're gonna go away from the Devils for a little bit. Let's, let's talk about the rest of the pack here. It's, last couple weeks have been a little bit wild. This week, not as much. We'll start in we'll start in Tucson, Trevor. I know you uh, grew up supporting the Red and Blue, but uh, did. Yeah. Did, did you get to watch? Did you watch for anything of this game?
2: I got to watch a little bit of the highlights. Uh, I saw Khalil Tate, and he passed the ball like I haven't seen him before this year. He, he was really accurate.
0: I don't think Khalil Tate has ever seen Khalil Tate pass the ball as well as he did this past week. Uh, Seventeen to twenty-two, five TDs. I mean, three hundred fifty yards. It, that was that game. Not only did it sink Colorado, it put it put Arizona in this in this division ground race, which is something I think most Arizona fans probably weren't weren't uh, didn't have on their mind a couple of weeks ago either. I mean, a couple of big wins. They 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 destroy Oregon. They come back and they beat Colorado. Now they're in the thick of things. Going on, but the, the team that really you gotta watch in the Pac-12, and I mean, I may be a little biased 'cause I love the, I love the quarterback, and he's very exciting. But number eight Wazoo, every year it seems as if the Cougars, a Mike Leach offense, is is prone to one awful game. It just doesn't happen. Yeah, like,
1: that's true. That's true. They have they kind of had a not so great of a game against USC early in the season, but I think fans are still hanging their heads on that they should have probably won that game if it worked for. a a mistargeting targeting call on that was on Minshew. They didn't call it, and it was pretty clear helmet-to-helmet helmet contact, and he was defenseless. So I think they're still kind of hung up about that. But going forward, I think they have a pretty good chance to win their remaining games if they can win the Apple Cup against Washington. That's going to be the most anticipated game between those teams in years.
0: I mean, and they nearly—I mean, they nearly lost again last year. They start six and zero. Cal comes in and absolutely crushes them, thirty-seven to three. Bears nearly do it again. I mean, they're they're driving late in the fourth, in the middle of the fourth quarter. Brandon McIlwain throws a pick in the red zone, which is something you absolutely cannot do afford to do against a, a top ten team. And then if they believe there were six or seven minutes left on when he threw that interception. That was Cal's last play in, in Washington State territory for the game, and that was your that's the game. And then the mighty mustache Gardner Minshew led the team down and, and uh and found and found and found a, a his receiver for a touchdown inside of 30 seconds. I mean that's. That's what separates an experienced team from from a young one.
2: Yeah, absolutely. A lot of teams could fold in that situation. When teams are getting that close, it's a close game. There's so much on the line with you being the last remaining, hopefully, small chance in the Pac-12 to get to the college football playoff. But yeah, absolutely. That's the way you got to close it if you're an experienced team.
1: Yeah, it will be interesting to see if eventually the Cougars will have a hangover from that game because this week they take... They're, they're on this week against Colorado in Folsom Field. Granted, Colorado's been playing really bad football lately. And then they go on to host to, host Arizona, not in Tucson, in Pullman, actually. And then for the last game of the year, of course, they host Washington. That's the game that was circled on their schedule. But it will be interesting to see if they overlook either Colorado or Arizona.
0: See, I don't think you can overlook either of them. I mean, without Chennault, this Colorado offense is anemic. They've really, I mean, Montez is not a bad quarterback. They put up 34 points. But. You lose your best player, and you see what it does to the offense. I mean, you take—I know we said no ASU, but no. Uh, Nikhil Harry gets injured at at in in Boulder, and the offense just looked lost. I mean, they're they're throwing Curtis Hodges out there for red zone for red zone possessions. It's not the same. Right? It's not. I mean, I, you get, I get I get he's six eight, but I mean, this doesn't do it. Nikhil Harry's size so much different. Chenault's versatility as a receiver or running back in Mike McIntyre's system is a is night and day compared to anything else that they have on that team, but going on from moving moving away from a uh, from Washington State. I mean, another team, one another team that got bowl eligible this week was Oregon. They came out, and in turn, and they got their revenge against Chip Kelly, against UCLA, won by 21, doubled them up, 42 to 21. Ducks become bowl eligible. Bruins tentatively, I guess we'll we'll leave it at that. Tentatively are. Out of bulk, out of out of a bowl, two and seven. Unless all hell breaks loose and they win the Pac-12 somehow, which at that point I, mean, I guess I I don't know I don't know what I'll do if the if the Bruins win the Pac-12.
2: It would just totally summarize this season for them to win the Pac-12 with everything. How much things have changed? If the worst team can come back and win, I wouldn't believe. Can it. you
1: imagine that UCLA team playing in their home stadium for the Rose Bowl against probably Ohio State? Mm. Like the ratings for that game would be insanely low.
0: It'd be insanely low, and it'd be a 30-point loss, at least, right. probably more. Right. I mean, this team lost to Oklahoma, by, I think, by 35, 40 points early in the season. Ohio State's generally a team that gets better as the season goes on. I think they would come in there and just kind of humiliate them. It'd get ugly. It'd be quite ugly, to say the least. Um, but speaking of teams that we kind of had a miss, had a mistaken identity of, I mean, Washington, they hang on. They get back in the rankings. Now there's two Pac-12 teams ranked, so that's that's a relief for the conference's a uh, the conference of champions is a name there. They nearly blow it to Stanford. They lose by they, they are up 21-0. And a Costello interception in the end zone saves saves the Huskies, puts them back in the rankings. Just really an, an icky football game from start to finish.
1: Yeah, it's really, it's really crazy how far how far Washington's fallen. Beginning of the season, people thought they'd be the only team with a chance in the Pac-12 to make the college football playoff. And now They're still probably one of the better teams in the conference, but they're just not the same dominant team that they've been in the last couple of years. They kind of cruise past the rest of the conference in the other two previous seasons. Now, Jake Browning's kind of struggled. They haven't had the same offensive production.
2: And for them to have their leading rusher and Jake Browning as well, that's got to be really disappointing if you don't capitalize and win a Pac-12 championship off that. That team still has that capability, but it's been a little disappointing to see how they've come, especially with the expectations they've had.
0: The only thing that would be more disappointing for this Washington team is for the people in Seattle to potentially see the, the lovely people in Pullman become uh, celebrating a Pac-12 title. That, well, I mean, yeah. If Washington State can lock up the North before the Apple Cup, great, but if they beat Washington in Pullman on, on the last game of the season, that would just be icing for, for Mike Leach. I mean, I, I would be ecstatic to hear what he's got to say after postgame on that oh, yeah. National Treasure Mike Leach, a longtime listener of the Devils in Detail podcast, um, but in terms of teams that just have had lost seasons, Washington, of course, was has been disappointing, but I don't think there's been a team more disappointing than USC this season. Um, you get JT Daniels, a five-star recruit, he leaves early, basically with the mentality of "Okay, I'm here and I will be running the show." They're they're 500. Clay Heldon loses in the Coliseum for the first time in his career. They get a win back against against Oregon State, so I mean, that's a that's a sympathy clap. But I mean, that's, there's there's nothing else really to, to talk about with that team. They're just they're 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 bland. There's nothing exciting about a team with so much depth being very mediocre.
1: I'll I'll give them a little bit of a pass because they do have a freshman quarterback in JT Daniels. I didn't expect him to be great this year and injuries have recently kind of plagued them especially on the defensive.
0: You were saying?
1: On the excuse me. Injuries have really plagued them recently on the defensive end and
0: We'll let you. We'll let you get back to that one. Okay. Regather your thoughts for a second there. I mean, Trevor, what have what have you seen out of Clay Halton? I mean, you went to USC a couple yeah. weeks ago. You saw that you saw ASU knock off the Trojans. I mean, a seventeen point win over Oregon State in the eyes of most Trojan fans, is a loss. That, it is. That, that's an unacceptable performance if you're a Trojan fan.
2: With the expectations that program has, that absolutely is a loss. And a lot of people were disappointed to see them even lose to ASU. And I think it speaks a lot to how the fans are feeling, that even though there were 45,000 people at the Coliseum, it was pretty much half capacity. It's not the USC team of old, and they lost their first game under and That's something that fans don't want to see at all. You expect greatness, and that's not been happening for the team this year.
0: Absolutely not. Now, Carson, are you ready to rejoin yes, the show? Yes, I am ready to rejoin the show. All right, let's hear um, what you let's hear what you have to say.
1: Yeah, I mentioned giving them a little bit of a pass because of J.T. Daniels, the freshman quarterback. I didn't expect him to be great out of the gun, but on the on defense, they've also had some energy injuries in Cameron Smith, poor Augustin. Both have missed significant time, and Gustin's out for the year, I believe. And so that's kind of there, but look at the talent they have. Year in and year out, they have the most most five and four stars in the Pac-12. You would think they'd be a little more competitive in this race.
0: I mean, absolutely. I mean, you look at the, the talent that's consistently brought in. A lot of pressure now on AD Lynn Swan. I mean, this has just been a bit of a mess this season. Granted, the team is young. The injuries have plagued them. But going forward, I mean, I think next year the seat warms up early and it, the seat gets and the seat starts to boil if the Trojans are not performing up to par. But even so, despite all of this mediocrity in the Pac-12, this team is, this, I said it before and I'll say it again, and we'll still be talking about it probably in two weeks, this division is still wide open. All right. So rapid fire to end the show, guys, who wins the Pac-12 South?
2: USC. USC, wow, I'm gonna say Arizona.
0: Arizona, wow, yeah. okay. Uh, I will not be saying the Devils because they are perpetual disappointments. Uh, I will say USC, comes out of nowhere. Playing a very weak schedule down the stretch and that's it. I mean, the Trojans just granted ACU's hot, I think the Trojans are gonna benefit from playing very weak teams down the stretch. But we're gonna have to wait and see who wins. Another week will hopefully offer some clarity for us. I mean, this team, a lot of good football to watch. What are you guys gonna be doing for the game? Actually, I think all three of us are gonna be in the press (laughs) box. We'll all be we'll all be there at the game. The senior day from Sun Devil Stadium, kickoffs at 12 between UCLA, excuse me, I can't say any names today, and Arizona State. For one final time, I'm Zach Pikel, joined alongside by Carson Field and Trevor Booth saying thanks for tuning in, and we hope you will again next week.